Huzzah! I'm Spider, and welcome to the Jacks Rangers, a New England Free Jacks podcast. And here is your host, Phil Harris. Yeah! Huzzah, Rangers! This is Phil Harris here at the Jacks Rangers show. I am joined with Diamond Dave, and also we have a very, very special guest this time around. Her name is Wendy Young. She is an MLR commentator slash broadcaster. Wendy, how the hell are you? I'm super good. I'm really excited to be on your show, and I'm just glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, Dave. How are you? I'm doing excellent, Phil. I just saw you, what, yesterday? So, yeah, here we go again, right? Yeah. Uh, let's get right into it, Wendy. Where are you from uh, originally? I'm a military brat, so I'm all from all over the place, but I uh, found, maybe it's easier to talk about where I found rugby. I found it in Oklahoma when I was oh. at the University of Oklahoma, and then I moved to Austin about five years in and have just been in Austin since, I guess, 2006 for a while now. Incredible. Wow. Okay, so you found it at uh, the University of Oklahoma. Did you play for the college team there? I did. We were amateur. Um, yep, I played for them. It was super fun. It was the sport that I'd been looking for my whole life, so it was really exciting. That's awesome. Very, very cool. So you're in Austin now. What was your favorite moment ever in a rugby jersey? Do you have a specific moment that comes to mind when that question's asked? I do. It's probably my first game. Um, I had been to two rugby practices and OU at the time was rebuilding. And mm -hmm. so I think if I recall right, and I'm I'm a constant exaggerator just to make things more fun, but um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure we had like 13 rookies and two veterans on the team. And so okay. they were like, you're loud and you're annoying. You're the scrum half. And I was like, oh, okay, what does that mean? You know? So, and then we went and played a game and we lost horribly, but then we went and had fun afterwards. And it was, yep. I mean, it was just like, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. It was amazing. Very, very cool. Yeah. The, the first game always sticks out for most people. I feel like, especially because most people don't know the damn rules, right. At that yeah. point or the laws of the game. So they're just trying to wing it the best they can. How did you get involved in broadcasting? How did that come about? Yeah, it happened in um, early like 2011, I think. We had been helping Alex Williams, who was the USA Women's High Performance Manager at the time mm -hmm. for the national team. And we'd been helping her uh, try to figure out how to get more exposure for their games. And so we went to the Los Angeles tournament when it was the Invitational and when it was the Sevens stop. And they okay. always had that tournament outside and the women always played outside and they wouldn't let us play in the stadium. So mm -hmm. we were like, fine, we'll just stream the games and We'll just figure it out right and um at the time i have my website yc rugby which is a women's rugby website that i run we didn't know how to stream things we just like put up a camera and and figured out how to do it and then we weren't yep. talking like we just put up blank video and you could hear this crowd in the game and stuff and then somebody was like well why don't you talk over it and i was like i don't know how to do that like what are you talking about <laughs> right so then i just started i and you know we didn't have rosters so you're just like yeah the team in red doing great you know yep. and just making it what you could be. And and then I kind of was like, yeah, I kind of like that. And so we just kind of grew it from there. And um, so I picked up just streaming and commentating when I could and then um, decided once the Austin Gilgronies like rip, they went away and I was mm -hmm. a technical zone manager for the whole time. Um, I just was like, I don't think I want to be done with MLR. And so yeah. I just reached out to their actually down Stanford. We were just talking about him. Um, yes, I reached we out were, to him yeah. and said, how do I get involved? And he said, call these people. And so I called them and, and they were really excited and auditioned and um, really excited to be uh, involved this year. That's fantastic. Super happy that you're involved with MLR at the at the broadcasting level. And, and Dallin Stanford is just fantastic. It's it's so interesting that like he kind of connects so many people to the game in certain ways. It's it's a, he's like it's just a conduit for rugby. I, I, yeah. There's no better way to describe him than that. It's just he's fantastic. Uh, favorite game you've ever called during a broadcast? What, what, what would that be? 
Oh, it's a tough one. I definitely had two big ones this year that I think were really good doing um, San Diego versus Seattle in Seattle was pretty fantastic when they were still yep. the only undefeated team. And then a, just a tough game. They lost that one. And then uh, just last weekend did Utah versus Seattle. And again, it was just another to the last moment, um, really exciting. And yep. you didn't know who was going to win um, in the end. Uh, so both games really, really exciting. Yeah, after uh, Utah beat the Free Jacks at Utah, I, I told Dave on the show here, I was like, you know what? This team could go on a run here. I, I think they're going to surprise a lot of people in the Western Conference. Uh, they're, they're really, really good. <laughs> yeah, and they've got a good schedule coming up, so they have an opportunity to make some more moves in the standings. Exactly. Yep, we might see them in a playoff spot here shortly. Um, let's see here. The U.S. was selected as the host of the Women's World Cup in 2023. What has to happen to improve women's rugby within the state prior to that wow that's a really it's a great question and it's a it's a tough one to answer for the world cup in 2033 mm -hmm. i mean i think first i'm just really excited that we have both of them so we have men's in 2031 obviously and then women's yep. in 2033 and i think there are some things happening that are putting us in the right direction the wpl going professional semi-professional mm -hmm. is really exciting and they've got their new expanded schedule with the break in the middle which i think is very cool and it's giving instead of sending all of our players overseas which they're undoubtedly getting a lot of experience and mm -hmm. love that they're doing that. Um, I think having a place where they can domestically play and develop and then go to the camps and, and be available for the national yes. team is a bit easier for them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so I think that's great. And then the club level, I think is growing as well. You know, COVID was really tough on everybody, but it's feeling like it was particularly difficult on women's rugby at that mm -hmm. level. And we're, we're seeing it here in the TRU that, you know, teams are struggling. They don't have the numbers they have and um, where we were kind of on a boom and we were catching up to the men it felt like i think they're we're just still recovering even you know a couple of years later but i will say we've got um you know really good competition this year mm -hmm. and a lot of the teams that made its championships already last year are kind of on their way so it's a uh, it's it's sometimes boring to have the same teams but then now you're seeing the longevity and the continuity which i think is exciting as well and then colleges, it's just tough. I love it and I love watching it, but all the divisions, we've got mm -hmm. to figure that out where we've yeah. got NERA and NCAA teams and then the small college and all of this. We've got to get under one umbrella and, and figure out how to be a pipeline mm -hmm. um, to make the best rugby players we can. For sure. Uh, we just recently had on um, Jenny Cornish from the USA uh, national team and also uh, a Free Jack staffer. And I asked her the same question. And one of the things we talked about is, you know, going fully professional for women's rugby has to be in the plans at some point in the future here. And, and just to create a more um, clear pathway from amateur to professional uh, within this country. It's all, it's all well and good that you know the, our women uh, that are really, really good can go overseas and play in England. There's like 20 of them now at this point. We definitely want them here uh, in the future and playing for professional teams. Maybe the free Jills for yeah. New England. I think that would be perfect, you know, so, but uh, that, that's just me. I mean, that's just my home run marketing thing there. But uh, anyway, I'm going to let uh, Dave take over. I appreciate your time. <clears throat> Excellent. Wendy, thank you for joining us. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. Um, you have worn pretty much every hat that someone can wear in rugby. Player, coach, referee, commentator, referee coach, referee evaluator, technical zone manager, competition administrator, not to mention member of both the Oklahoma and Texas Rugby Halls of Fame. What role have you found most motivating of all of those, you know, really changing, thinking about that's a lot of transitions and I'm sure some of it was simultaneous, but that's starting a lot of new things. What was really motivating to begin 
as a new kind of step in your rugby journey? And what was something that you found really challenging or frustrating in that long journey? Yeah, I appreciate that. And I love that you stalked me so much. That's great. <laughs> you have a really good page on the Texas <laughs> Rugby Hall of Fame. So it's oh, very, yeah. it's very yeah. uh, exhaustive. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's partially I don't have a problem saying no. I'm trying. I'm getting better at saying no to things <laughs> and not just overextending myself, which was where I was yeah. a couple years ago. Um, but I think the most motivating was probably referee coach. Um, you know, I, I didn't really want to become a referee. It just kind of happened. I was a very injury prone, prone player. I wanted to keep playing, but I torn my ACLs. I'd broken my hands three times and just kept having all these injuries and just was like, this is not worth it. And so I became a referee in, I guess, 2008. And at that time they really were seeking females. So it was a good time to be involved. But then, you know, I was getting older and decided to retire and, and thought foolishly that I would step away. And I'd done some referee coaching and um, a, a couple of uh, older referees that knew wiser than me just approached and were like, I think you'd be a really good referee coach and I think you should do it. And it was nice. It was cool to do it. And it was kind of seeing the other side of the coin. Um, I've been coached, of course. Um, and, and at that time, it was more evaluation than coach. So you were very often getting a report card, like you failed or you did well. And that was really hard. Um, and now we're trying to be more like the rest of the world um, in the last couple of years and saying, let's coach people and let's help them understand what they can do better at instead of just, you know, they don't need to be stripped down every game. That doesn't help anybody. It works for about 10% of the population. And that's not a lot of people. Um, so that's what really motivated me was being a better coach to referees and helping them understand the game. And then being that conduit too, between fans and how they interpret the game and then how we're trying to interpret the game. And we're all here doing the same thing. We all love rugby. We want it to flow. We want it to be exciting and have tries scored. And yeah, every once in a while there's a forward pass, but it was a great try. And it was really exciting and maybe that's okay. Um, so I think that was the big piece for me was just being on the other side of the coin and helping. Um, I like high performance referees. So I like uh, WPL and MLR, that kind of level. So helping them understand and, and help them where they need to grow. Excellent. Love that. And then you said one more question. I yeah, it was, so um, it was, what was frustrating or, or really challenging in all those transitions? Yeah, I think the hardest one has been on the USA, the competitions committee. Um, there's just been a lot happening there. There's a lot of transition because um, I was on it pre-bankruptcy and then now I'm on it again, you know, post. I took a break there for a little bit. But there's just a lot of old guard and and people that have been in the game for a really long time and bless them and they have done wonderful things. But there's a younger generation um, that needs to be let in. And uh, I, th I feel really strongly about that. And we need to have more diversity and especially in gender in those in those spaces. We're not being very well represented. The women are not very well represented um, in those spaces uh, historically. So it's been hard to break in there even um, to get in onto those committees. It wasn't clear how you could get on a committee. You know, that took a long time. Um, but persistence is a very strong skill that I have. And so you just keep 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 at it until somebody tells you to stop or then you just keep going anyways. But uh, that's probably the hardest committee to be on. Um, it's hard to affect change too. Yeah. Certainly a rugby value persistence, something that people who uh, play are familiar with. Yeah. Um, I love that you said referee, coach, and evaluator uh, as being motivating. I'm a big fan of coaches. I think coaching is cool, and I think like coaches are cool and where they fit into the competitive structure. Um, I imagine you've been impacted by a lot of coaches in your career and in your different roles. Who's a coach who stands out from your background, and what was like a really good piece of coaching advice you got? either as a player, a referee, or a commentator? That's a good question. 
I definitely think, you know, early on in my career, um, Scott Green was very instrumental. Luckily, he lives in Austin, so I was able to work with him. And he helped me understand that, sure, I can call every penalty on the field and I can be right about every single call. But there's a larger picture to understanding the context of the game, who's wanting to play fast, who's playing more of a structured game. Uh, are they kicking those types of things. So taking a step back from being a player and, and trying to understand what I wanted as a player and then trying to really understand about um, making it a piece of art. And that concept was really difficult for me in the beginning because I just was like, no, I've, I've been taught my whole referee career to call penalties and to call what I see and when things are unfair to make it fair. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but it's more about uh, having a game that makes sense and it flows and it's exciting to watch and in the context, um, everyone understands what's happening. It's not always about being right. Um, Scott was really great at that. And then Amanda Cox, I would say, is another coach um, that has been really helpful in my career as well. Um, sorry, second question. Um, two-parters no, no, were hard. You got, I know. Sorry, I write a lot of two-parters. <laughs> it's my style, I guess. I got to work on that. Um, it, I, th I think you got it, though. It just, okay. I, I named a few different roles that you might might call to. Um we mentioned earlier the WPL, the Women's Premier League. Uh, we've talked on the show a little bit about how Beantown here in Boston has worked um, with the Free Jacks. Um, of course, their co one of their co-head coaches, Ollie Inglehart, is a Free Jacks player and an organizational guy. Uh, they're going to be playing several curtain raisers this year at Fort Quincy. The first one is this Saturday. Um, in a series of friendlies, but I believe they have a WPL match as well as one of the curtain raisers later in the more toward the summer. Um, you are a master of elevator pitches. So can you give Free Jacks fans your WPL state of the, you know, as the season kicks off the state of the competition or, you know, your, your just pitch for the league? What do you got? Yeah, I think there's two contexts to this. I think you can talk about just Beantown in uh, particular. They're the defending champions, which is really, really exciting. Uh, sorry, they're not the defending champions. They have won it so many times. They are, I think, the second most winningest WPL team. Burkett all loses the at one twenty twenty two, but I think they're a great team to support, and I'm excited that they're involved with the New England Free Jacks, and they have lots of support beyond Ollie. They also have Kit uh, Ruse Wagner, who is a longtime Beantown and then USA player as well. Super excited to have her back, and then of course she's coaching with Brown as well. And then just looking at their young talent, I actually just was reviewing a game this weekend. They played North Shore, and looking at the young talent on their team, just absolutely fantastic. And the things that they are coaching and their culture that they believe in is everything that we love as rugby and probably more so i think they're a team to watch out for this year and then i guess my elder elevator pitch for the wpl would be that it is the highest level of women's rugby in the united states and it is on its way up and it has more sponsorship and more eyeballs on it than it's ever had before and so we need every supporter we can get to make sure that these players can be the best that they can be that's excellent the beantown players this season have been at every free jacks home match just volunteering and you know wearing their kit and kind of quietly promoting uh, uh themselves and just being a part of the community so it's been really fun i know my daughters i have kindergarten and fourth grade age daughters are really excited to get out to a beantown match now that they've met some of the players That's at cool. age league rugby so i think it's a yeah. i think it's a really good opportunity for some you know cross promotion and partnership that uh as many things major league rugby it'll be unevenly rolled out right some yes. <laughs> some places it'll be really tight and others there might be none but the in new england i think it's a good a good fit 
Um, and I love that word partnership. I think that's really, really important for where the MLR is and where the WPL is. And I think it's a natural, this partnership could, should, could be really natural, but it's just getting everybody to the table and, and seeing all the values and benefits together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you as a player are, are scrum half. Uh, scrum halves are famously testy. Like you said, you were told you were loud at your first match and you're a scrum half. So did you have a scrum half pet peeve, something that would always get you heated? Or to flip it around, did you have a way that you really liked to get in your opponent's head or mess with uh, other teams? I don't know what really messed me up. Well, I guess like when it came down to refereeing and maybe it just it's why I became a referee, right? That when you felt like the referee wasn't calling things correctly or wasn't understanding what your team was trying to do. And this was pre like anything I knew about referee coaching and things, but the frustration level was there. I think yeah. that was, that was tough because sometimes you'd feel that, you know, they took the game away or whatever, right. The penalty didn't go your way, things like that. So that probably was my biggest pet peeve. And now that I think about it, probably is why I became a referee. But, um, and then the second thing was, when I played, you were, and this is just one of those classic, like I went up the hill backwards on glass and stuff stories. But when I played, uh, the scrum halves were allowed to be a lot closer together. So we would often untie each other's shoes or, you know, just a little yank yep. on the shorts and just try to annoy each other. And that was my favorite thing to do. And then we also were allowed to like hit each other off the back of the scrum. Like that was <laughs> definitely my favorite. Like, oh, she's got her hands on the balls and I'm going to smash her. Yeah. You know, that was, I mean, it was the way to intimidate them, uh, my opponents and, um, and try to let them know I'm here. You made the pass, but I'm here and we're going to do this all day. Um, yeah. and now you can't do that. There's a pocket and you can't touch each other. And, you know, it's very protected. But back then it was pretty much a free for all. Yeah, they want that good platform now, right? A really <laughs> yeah. good platform out to the backs. Let the backs do their thing. It's positive rugby, and I get it. Yeah. But I, I I started playing, I think, around the same time you did. And it's, you know, you're like, oh, but, you know, it was kind of fun. It was yeah. it was fun, you know, when you had somebody who you just had beat, you know, and you could just nail them all day. Yeah, uh, and, and disrupt. I could disrupt everything they were trying to do, you know, so legally, too. So Right. Yeah, yeah. You took I mean, you took that the reason they changed the laws, you took that platform away. Like you could yeah. you could make it so they couldn't have a clean right. launch from their scrum if you were really persistent and on it. So yeah, fun, fun times. Uh, the the <laughs> laws we've lost, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you and I bumped into each other on social media because I had kind of a very dorky question, which you graciously gave like a, a detailed answer to. And it was about the technical zone referees in Major League Rugby. That's the team of referees that you see all, you know, uh, uh, kitted out, I think in black usually. Um, they have, but they have their own uniform that's a little different than the referee and the two assistant referees who everybody will know who are out there calling you know the balls and strikes as we might say right um can you explain a little bit to our listeners what those technical zone referees are why there are three or four of them what the different roles are on match day yeah and these are um really critical roles they are also used on international matches so there it's an important role that they use everywhere so the technical zone manager is typically your number four so your referee in the center is one your first ar so if the move my fingers so they're on the screen but the um the first ar is if the center referee goes down so they're designated as ar1 and then ar2 would be if somebody else went down right so you could just fulfill so you're always have a referee on match day and then the number four is your sideline uh, manager and so they essentially could go in as well and then it depends on which um 
where you are, how many more you might have. Some teams will have a five, six, and seven. Um, but I'll start with four because that's the most likely that you would have um, for every team. And so the number four is you're an extension of the referee. You will be mic'd up. So I will be able to speak to the referee. Um, I've got a replacement coming on or we've got head injuries. So we need to stop the game. So I'm the sideline communication to the referee because obviously the ARs are very busy on the sideline assisting, directly assisting the referee. So my functions, my responsibilities would be number uh, number one is to build a relationship with the coaches or managers or whoever is managing the sideline for the teams because um, they would bring replacements to me. They would bring questions to me. Um, and so I'm that kind of resource for them. Um, and relationship is key because sometimes you have to tell them, you know, get behind the line, get, get, up, get where you're supposed to be or you can't do that. So I don't want to be someone that's just yelling and screaming at someone. I'd rather say, hey, John, we talked about that you need to stay in your technical zone and you can't yell at the referee and we're going to have a good day. Right. So that relationship is really key. And then you will very often have a number five, because early on we found that the number four trying to do all of that and then write paperwork. So they scored a try or there was a replacement or someone's on a yellow card was too much. Mm -hmm. So then we added a number five, which is the person that you'll see when you can see the table, you'll see them usually sitting and they're transcribing the match. But they are also your backup. You're running a clock as a number four, so you've got a stadium clock. You have your ARs have their clock. Sometimes the referee runs a clock. I'm the, I'm the extra clock. And then you'll have a number five that has another clock. And that's critical because at any point, if we have a yellow card, we need another clock. We need a 10-minute clock along with our 80-minute clock. And then, heaven forbid, in the MLR, we have a red card. That's a 20-minute clock. So you have to have a multiple number of watches available, or we now have an app that helps us run all this. But it's, it's very difficult to manage all of that as just a single person. So your number five is often your person that helps back you up for all of that. Um, and then beyond your relationship with your coach and, or your, your sideline, there's a lot of just other things. There's a lot of people on the sideline. There's cameras. There's photographers. There's ball kids. So it's managing all of that, too. So your air is not getting tripped, you know, all of those things. So, and making sure the picture looks good, right? Um, Austin always had a really busy a sideline and i think seattle also has a really crowded it's just very tight in the stadium so yeah. it's just harder to do that so there's a lot of that where you're like coach just you know back up just make sure you're in your spot those kinds of things interesting sounds like the technical in the title is well deserved yeah so it's, it's a lot of uh details to track and to keep everything in line um it certainly seems like it, it deserves a team I can't imagine doing, as you said, just having a four and no five. That seems like that might in some ways be one of the hardest jobs out there that day, just in terms of just how much stuff is happening at the same time that you have to manage. Yeah. And um, then you've got a yellow card in the front row. So you've got to have a replacement because so you're going over to the coach and you're getting a replacement. So you're five steps up to talk to the referee. Like there's just a lot of coordination also. And then you have to know all the laws inside and out, like yeah. just like got to know them. Because they're yeah, going to come no, to you and say, can you do that? Can I, and you'll, you have to know. Yeah, that's tough. The substitution laws get a little Byzantine when you've got a, you know, front rower who's been sent off, but we want contested scrums and we can yeah. replace somebody else. It gets, it gets pretty weird. Um, yeah. All those exceptions. Props keep their boots on, right? You, <laughs> you come yeah, off, you sure. might be coming, yeah. you might be going <laughs> back on, just be ready. Yep. Um, fans love to hunt for apparent mistakes in major league rugby and in all sports frankly across every sport blaming referees when they lose maybe even also blaming them when they win just to prove how fair they are that they don't <laughs> can't stand the referees no matter what the outcome is um as a referee evaluator and coach you're actually one of the people who was in a position to give meaningful feedback to referees 
So what does that feedback actually look like? Because I don't imagine it's like you missed this offside and that knock you called was actually backwards. You know, nobody needs to be told just like you got these things wrong. So what what are you actually doing when you're coaching those referees up? What What's the feedback look like? Yeah, it's a great question. And I appreciate you asking that. So we can we can share a little bit of we don't mean to have those conversations like we have a WPL call tonight and, and the coaches are invited to be on that and they're able to be on that. Not many take advantage and I wish they would. And the MLR does the same thing. Their coaches can be on and I don't know of the uh, the pickup of that. But um, it's it's not meant to be a dark art. It's meant to be something that we want to share. So I really appreciate that question. But um, it depends on the level of the referee. But generally, you, when you're working with a high-performance referee, you are looking to talk about the larger context of the match. Materiality, context, uh, balance is really important. So if you've got a match where you're heavily penalizing one team, we need to have that referee have a trigger and go, is this team really infringing that much? Or maybe am I just keyed on what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they have the ball a lot. Um, they're a good attacking team. And so I'm just uh, you know, not looking at the defense as much as I should. Um, we will sometimes look at particular calls when it's a trend. I think that's really, really important to understand. If we've got a referee that's you know, missing the first infringement, so they're missing the tackler not rolling and instead calling the, the jackler for not releasing. Um, or, you know, something like that, or the ball carrier not releasing. Um, that's where we would definitely look at a trend and say, all right, let's look at your positioning. How are you seeing, we call it a picture. So mm-hmm. when you come to the tackle, we want to see obviously the ball uh, tackler rolling away quickly, the ball carrier releasing, and then those arriving players coming through the gate. So we call that the picture. And so we want them to be able to get a good picture. And so when the picture doesn't look right, that's when you know you've got a penalty, um, as long as it's material. Of course, we don't want to call 50-50s because that's really confusing for fans. Um, We've definitely seen that even in World Cup matches where you're like, that doesn't make sense. And wow, it really feels like that referee nitpicked that, right? Um, And we want them to understand that trends are important for the entire match. And that becomes context. So in the first 20 minutes of the game, if I've got, you know, Beantown is being penalized heavily, I need to take care of that as a referee and recognize that trend and try to stop the trend. So that's where that chat comes in um, and, and those kinds of things. So, and we talk about them almost in quarters. So you've got your first 20 minutes, the teams are settling. They're trying to understand what you want. You're trying to help them understand what you're looking for. And you're looking for that response. So you're building rapport. And then going into that second half of the 20 minutes, really looking for consistency. The standards are set and they're following what you've got. Um, and then, of course, the 60 minute, you start having your replacements come in. So you start again. Let's reset those expectations kindly and make sure that everybody's um, doing what they should be doing. And so looking at it in segments and making sure that you're taking in what's happening and being able to process process that as the game goes on is really, really important for referees. Yeah, I really like that way of thinking about it and thinking about the phases of the match and that you're kind of accomplishing different things in different parts depending on on the context. Um, there was a really great moment in the Toronto match with the Free Jacks when Slade McDowell came on. It was his, it's his first, you know, first st- setting foot on the pitch in a live match, you know, since last season. And he comes out and his engine's just running hot and he's kind of getting yes. into it around the breakdown. And the referee is just like, literally says, you just came on. Like, calm down. The, yep. that's not that's not what we're doing here right yeah. now so yeah. match your tone to this rugby match that's going on and let's get on with it and it was that's fantastic uh, it was a really yeah. great note you know just to be like yeah. no no like you you meet us where we're at kind of yep um 
And you'll have that it, in scrums a lot. You'll be able to say to that prop that came in, like, you just watched 60 minutes. You saw what I expected. I need you to do that. And then you can reference your pre-match too. Like, hey, we talked about long binds, getting your shoulders out, like all those things. And it's just about resetting expectations. Yeah. It's, that's really, really excellent. Setting expectations and then, and then enforcing them consistently. Right. That's yep. the, yeah. that's the, that's the magic soup. That's what yes. actually gets those, those really good smooth matches that feel good for everybody. Um, refereeing is, can be really daunting. Um, there's in new England, at least there's a shortage of referees right now. We've talked about it. Um, I just completed my training and I'm looking forward to getting out there a little bit. Um, Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. And that what makes it hard is that, you know, people aren't perfect, which means referees aren't perfect. So if you, you know, scaling it down to somebody who's newer, you know, thinking like club level, high school level, when you're getting out there, how should a referee think about the mistakes that they've made? Because, you know, I've never I've ref plenty of B-side matches and things like that. And you're always afterwards like, I missed that. I blew that mm -hmm. call. That guy legally had rights to the ball and I blew it up, you know. He, he was right to be mad. How should a ref think about those things? And then how do you get back on the horse and, and say, you know, I'm going to get back out there next Saturday and I'm going to call, you know, a slightly better match than I did last week? Yeah, I think it's really important to understand that even as – think about it as a new player. You're going to make those mistakes too, right? You're going to knock it on. You're going to be out of position or whatever it is, and it's the same thing. And I think it just feels bigger because it's just you, right? Yeah. You're in the middle. You've got the whistle oh, I really screwed that up, right? So I think there's accountability. So I need to understand what I did and how I can fix it. But it's also how long it's going to take you to fix it, especially as a new referee. I mean, if you're not getting 10 games a season, it's going to take you a year to get better. You know, if you're getting four games a season, it's going to take you two years to get better. So it's about repetition, just like as a player. You know, if you're a hooker, you've got to throw that ball thousands of times to be able to know you're going to hit that target it's the same thing you have to call thousands of games i mean nobody has thousands but you have to call hundreds of games to be able to feel like all right i've got this like nothing that i'm going to see is uncomfortable and i think it's that moment where we we call it where the picture becomes clear or everything starts to slow down so you're at the tackle and you're seeing oh great they've rolled away the ball's presented instead of like oh my God, there's 5,000 people here and they're all fighting for the ball and they're all cheating. What do I do as a referee, yeah. right? So it takes time, it's repetition. And then if you've got a coach and or even uh, you know friends or peers, just talking through your mistakes and having you know kind of a group chat, you would realize that almost everybody has either done what you've done or mm -hmm. is in the same spot as you. So it's, it's again, thinking about referees as teams. And that was, you know, a new concept for me, too, when I started. But I have a whole team of, you know, I quit playing and I had a whole team of referees that I could call up and go, oh, man, I just did this. And what do you, what would you do in my situation? Um, so using your resources. Um, and then I think those those reps are just you can't get past that. Yeah, that's a great that's a great answer. Um, and I know that in New England, the referee community, the New England Ref Rugby Referee Society is really positive. I've known I've, I've just been playing being refereed by these uh, men and women for 20 years so like I know a lot of them pretty well yeah. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to kind of having that collegial uh, uh, relationship yeah. with them <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's pretty fun referees tend to be cool people in my experience yeah. you know um, so it's it's definitely a lot of fun and I think that's what makes it worth all the pressure and scrutiny and work that it takes is that it's it's another way to think about the game and engage with the sport um and you do get that new team and a new community uh that you and there's you a know. ton of opportunity for young referees i mean it's just yes. ripe for the picking like it's 
you know, and you can dual track, right? We've got in TRU, we actually reduce the dues um, for referees that play. So we have that dual, we call it a dual track. And so we want you to play, you know, do your, your game on Saturday and then come do a game on Friday night or Sunday, Sunday or whatever there is in your, your region. Um, and that there's plenty of opportunity out there. Yeah, that's a clever, that's a clever incentive. I like that. The reduced player dues if you're a referee. Um, yeah, the, the training, we talk a lot about Amelia Luciano up here, who's, you know, one of the high profile referees. She's in uh, many of the uh, uh, Free Jacks matches as an AR uh, and uh, travels all over the world. It's gotten a lot of yeah. opportunities to, to referee. She's awesome. Um, yeah, she's, she's really great. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Well, this has been really fun. I've got like eight more questions I'm not going to ask, uh, <laughs> but we might have to have you back. This is this is, this yeah, is really sure. excellent, and I appreciate the expertise um, that you, that you were able to bring to the show. Yeah, I would love to come back, and I appreciate your interest. Um, I was really surprised when I first posted on social media, and it was Reddit that you and I found each other. But I was yeah. really surprised that I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be too detailed," and they're going to be like, "Okay, whatever." So I was really excited when you replied, and we're just like, "Oh, that's so great!" So I appreciate you digging in. Um, and then reaching out and then having me on the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right, Wendy, we really appreciate your time. We say one word to exit the video here. It is huzzah. We're going to say that in three, two, one. Huzzah. Huzzah.